Welcome, adventurers. While guarding the estate of an unknown wealthy merchant, Sarkeesian and Colborn have caught sight of a shadowy figure. Who might it be? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Heart pounding in her ears, feet pounding on the ground, she ran, ran as fast as she could. She had hoped that the shift change would be a good time to make her way through the fence and onto the grounds unnoticed, but it seemed the tall one with the dark curly hair had seen her. Apparently, her background in farming was insufficient to plan a quiet extraction of a stolen statue. A quick glance to her left showed the tall woman gaining on her quickly. Rianok wasn't sure if she would make the building before she was caught. So much for skills. Her pursuer called out for her to stop, then back to the other guards. Rianok's blood pumped like fire through her veins. If this was being the chosen of a god, Cinder could god-cursed pick someone else. You there, stop, Sarkeesian shouted. She wouldn't catch up with the shadowy figure before it had gone round the corner of the building. Colborn, with me. Colfin, alert the guard. She made no attempt to look back to see if her orders were followed. A look back over a shoulder at a full run was to invite disaster. And then, as if the thought had invoked Cinder's own mischief, the tip of her boot caught on the most unlikely bit of uneven ground. She stumbled, but caught herself short of falling. Colborn became visible beside her. You all right? he said, still running. Her answer was simply to return to a full-speed pursuit. When a little over thirty paces separated them from the intruder, the figure passed out of sight and behind the building. <laughs> the climbing terabit flower bush on the west side of the building clung to the wall, rising up all three stories, passing very near a window on the second floor. This was how Rianok had hoped to enter the building, but there was no time now to stop and climb. Unless... The memory of sitting in Master Kim Karin's office came to her, the feeling of, of duplicating herself. Her eyes dropped from the side of the estate to the ground before her. A well-pruned hedge surrounded the building. The low thumps of feet beat the rhythm of her pursuers catching up. Rianok dove to the ground and rolled. Sarkeesian pulled even with Colborn as they made the corner of the building and dashed around. Ahead, much further than she would have thought, their intruder continued to run. The dark hood of the cloak had fallen back, exposing a mass of red hair that trailed out like fire whipping in the wind. Ten more paces carried the runner to the next building corner. 
their head turned to cast a glance back toward Colborn and herself, even as they fled. It was only a moment, the whites of eyes caught in the lantern light. Imagined or perceived, Sarkeesian saw the same look of fear she had seen in the dwarven woman's eyes earlier this morning. Who was this being of many faces? What was their end goal? And if they were afraid, why did they keep coming back? Something about all of this did not stack straight. Sarkeesian was going to get some answers tonight, one way or another. The tips of the red hair disappeared around the next corner like the tail of a fox. She leaned forward, pulling away from Colborne once again. Sarkeesian wasn't going to be outrun. <laughs> He wasn't sure if it was going to work, if she could call the image at will. But as soon as she had rolled to a stop beneath the greenery, she blinked her eyes closed and formed an image of herself in a hastened retreat in her own mind. Her eyes opened to the figure, an exact replica of herself running away. The pounding feet came around the corner. Rianok held her breath. The figure she created was far away now, almost to the corner ahead. She made the image look back at the tall woman and her dwarven companion. Was it going to? It had, not so much as a beat of hesitation. Both the tall woman and the dwarf sprinted ahead. There was no time to waste. The moment her would-be captors vanished, she was on her feet, made the last ten steps to the place where the climbing terabit started. If she had come unharassed, she might have taken a moment to plan a route, to see if this plant was as sturdy as she had hoped. As it was, she grabbed a hold and climbed, climbed as quickly as she possibly could. As Sarkeesian turned the next corner, the icy splash of shock ran through her. There was no sign of the quick little interloper. She continued to run out onto the manicured lawn of the upper terrace behind the manor. There were two more such terraces before the river bank, each about two paces lower than the one above. It was possible for their elusive friend to hide against and below the stone wall that held up one such terrace. What didn't seem possible was for them to have run so fast as to have reached those positions in the few beats it had taken Sarkeesian to catch up. She slowed to a jog, and then to a walk. Her eyes scanned the area ahead. The morning clouds had yielded a heavy rain that had fallen most of the day, breaking an hour after Sol set. The night was a patchwork of clouds and stars. Arjun shed her silver light, with a reddish-orange tint added by Cerise, which hung low in the sky. The landscape ahead of Sarkeesian was pools of shadow and dim light. If the intruder wasn't running, they had to be hiding. Colborne's feet padded on the soft lawn until they stopped beside her. He was breathing heavily. Our slippery bit of shadow is unseen once again. He failed to hide a tone of amusement. She didn't bother looking at him. They can't be far. 
let Colfin know to send guards to the east side of the manor to make sure they don't slip around that side. You stay here and make sure they don't double back. Her hand dropped to the hilt of her sword, but didn't draw it. It looks like we have ourselves a little game of hide-and-seek. <laughs> the bush was old and sturdy, with wide vines that made good holds for her hands and feet. She was up to the second-story window faster than she could have hoped for. Being on the outside, there were no handles, but it did appear that the window could be opened that it was not just a solid pane of glass. The question of greater importance was, was it locked? She whispered under her breath a string of words she had learned from Cinder. Rianok had never used this particular casting for such a purpose, but it should work. The window rattled in its frame for a beat, and then burst open as if someone had thrown it open. Not having thought it all out, the panel on the side she was struck her with a muffled thud. It hurt. She choked back a curse and redoubled her grip in fear the impact would knock her from the wall like a broom and a spider. The brunt of the blow was absorbed by her shoulder, which now felt as a finger smashed with a mallet. Thank the gods the glass was expensive, thick, and the worst thing that could have happened didn't. The window did not break. No, she had to get in somehow. The main portion of the climbing terabit went past the window, not under it. She had to climb down below to get beneath the open pane and reach out, stretching to the limit of her reach to get a hold of the sill. And then, and she couldn't believe she did this, she had to let go of the vine with her second hand, immediately swinging it to the sill to grab hold. Her feet came off the plant. They pedaled and kicked to gain purchase on the wall. This time she did curse, and then cursed herself in her head for cursing out loud. For almost five beats she hung precariously from the sill, floundering like a fish splashed upon land. At last, somehow, she gained a grip, caught her foot at the same time as she was able to pull. Her chin came over the edge, one arm and elbow. She hung there, half in, half out, breathing heavily. Then one last spastic effort, and she summited the sill, balanced awkwardly for a moment, and then crashed over and into the room. Rianok scrambled to sitting, pressing her back against the wall. Slapping a hand over her mouth, she held her breath and listened. Beats seemed like bells. One beat, two, and then the rush of footsteps. Her entry had been heard. Rianok barely had time to stand, eyes scanning the room for a place to hide. There was even a panicked moment when she considered going back out the window when the door swung open. She spun toward it. A short human man in a fine set of clothes locked his eyes on her. Who are you? He demanded, stepping through into the room. Rianok's eyes went wide. Her head filled with the whispers of cinder. Instructions. 
Rianok began to follow along, her fingers dancing in the patterns that flashed in her mind. The man was two steps away from her, hand reaching out to grab her when she spouted. What's the matter? Don't you recognize your old friend Rianok? His steps faltered, a confused expression crossing his face, and then a look of recognition. Rianok, it's been so long. Listen, there isn't much time. Master Beverinderin has sent me to get the statue. There are infiltrators amongst the guards. They plan to steal it. I must get it and get away from here, safely. The man's face grew shocked, then serious. Of course, follow me. Outside the window, from the grounds below, a cry of alarm. Sarkeesian, the little trickster fooled us. There's a window opened here. Rayanok swallowed. Hurry, they are coming. Sarkeesian was struggling to keep her irritation under control. It appeared as if the intruder had just disappeared. Colborne was listing a number of ways, of particular castings that would have allowed the person whom they chased to jump a distance, go invisible, or hide an illusionary form. He rattled these off as he walked a regular pattern in the backyard, having cast a spell that would allow him to detect the presence of magic, but to no avail. He had started in the position out in front of the building, the area Sarkeesian estimated to be the most likely the runner had made it to. While he was at this, she didn't stand idly by, instead poking behind every bit of landscape or splash of shadow that might provide a hiding spot. She was standing atop the wall above the second terrace, back to the estate, eyes searching the grounds below, when she heard Colborne call from behind. Sarkeesian! The little trickster fooled us. There's a window open here. She turned and dashed off. To her dismay, Colborne was standing on the west side of the building, the side they had passed right around, staring up at a second-floor window. The infiltrator had managed to double back without being seen. There could be no question magic was in play. Can you still detect magic? She asked Colborne. He nodded. They can keep it up a while. Stay here, she instructed, in case the thief thinks they can come back this way. I'm going to the front entrance to warn Colfin of what is going on and to organize a search of the building. When she arrived at the front, she found Colfin confused and sour-faced. He stood in plain sight by the wide double doors, which stood open. What's going on? Sarkeesian called. Orders just came from upstairs. The thief was just seen fleeing down toward the river on the east side. All guards were ordered to give pursuit. Sarkeesian's stomach sank. We should join them. And leave the front door unguarded, Colfin frowned. At that very moment, Getrick Dunn appeared from a side door leading into the main entry and stomped in their direction. His face was red and angry. When he had reached them, he paused, staring at each of them in turn. Then he growled a disapproving snarl and continued out the front door. 
Sarkeesian's face grew heated with disappointment. She didn't like failing at tasks she was assigned. Colfin, however, stared after their employer, who for some reason was walking up the path to the main gate. He's too short. Sarkeesian's eyes flashed to the figure. Getrick was short for a human, a few inches over five feet, but Colfin was right. This Getrick was several inches under five feet tall. It's them, she swore and took off running. Getrick turned when he heard her footsteps. Eyes went wide, and then he started to run. It was too late. Sarkeesian was already moving at full speed by the time he tried to flee. She dove. She expected to hit the man mid-body. Instead, the arms passed through where he should have been and collided with a mass of... of hair? She held tight. A high-pitched yelp came from Getrick's form, and they sprawled to the ground. Gods, the woman was fast. She turned to run. The furious footsteps behind her closed on her in no time, and then disappeared. A flash of pain as a hand grabbed her hair and pulled her from her feet. Rianok crashed to the ground. The impact of the gravel making her drop the magical image of the man she had surrounded herself with. She struggled, but only for a beat or two. The woman was much stronger than her. Rianok lay on her back. The woman now knelt above her, pinning her to the ground with one hand. Give it over, the woman said in a stern tone. Rianok sighed, reaching into a pouch at her belt. As intriguing as the sketch had been, the object itself was almost unspeakably beautiful, carved from wood and stained to a near black. The globe held in the hands was a gemstone of some sort, white and near luminescent. The woman took it. As she did, a dwarf with a brown, forked beard appeared, staring down at Rianok over the woman's shoulder. The tall woman was quiet for a few beats, and then she simply said, Why? It's stolen, Rianok replied. She saw confusion pass over the woman's face. Of course it was, Rianok had just... Rianok clarified. The person you are working for, Berseda Beverinderin, stole it, with the intention of selling it to the highest bidder. And you are here to recover it on behalf of its rightful owner? The woman said in a dubious tone. Rianok considered a moment. No, I don't think I am. I was hired by someone claiming ownership, but there is a problem with their claim as well. As she was saying this, a second dwarf that bore some resemblance to the first, but with a darker beard, came into Rianok's field of view as well. You see... The statue you now hold is a very important cultural artifact of the elves of the Yewwood. At least, that is what the cleric in Halbston told me. The man who hired me was certainly not a wood elf. I've thought about it a lot. Though he wants it, I don't think it can belong to him, either. The woman looked to the dwarf with the darker beard, handing him the statue. He squinted, inspecting it closely. 
After a few beats, the man raised his eyebrow, looking first at Rianak and then to Sarkeesian. She is right, and it is what she says it is. They are rare, and a prized possession of the devotees of Karathriel. The woman looked defeated. She let her hand off Rianak's chest and rocked back onto her haunches. What in the hills are we supposed to do now? Rianak could tell from the woman's posture and tone she wasn't going to be returning the object. The brown-bearded dwarf mumbled under his breath. There's a hundred and fifty gold we're never going to see. Rianak sat up, studying the faces of the three surrounding her. Cinder whispered in her ear. It was filled with humor, with joy. The threads of these before you, they are as vibrant as yours. The world will need them, too. Need all of you. I was paid seven hundred and fifty gold and agreed to return this object to its rightful owner, Rianok said. The three all looked to her. I will share the money with you if you help me. Help me return it to its rightful owner. There was a twinkle in the brown-bearded dwarf's eyes. The tall woman squinted at her, lips pursed. The dark-bearded dwarf raised both of his eyebrows and then threw his head back and laughed. And now we see how Rianok's path crossed those of Sarkeesian, Colborn, and Colfin. From stories past, we know how they find Mela and Ketri. But what does destiny hold for this unlikely group of heroes? What dangers do they face? And what adventures will they undertake? There is much yet to be told in tales to come. And there you go. Done at last. <laughs> uh, longest story to date at seven episodes. Uh, along those lines, we are already 14 episodes into season five here. Uh, that is right around or well past the end of when I would normally end a season. But to be honest, I still had uh, two more stories planned for this season. So what I'm going to do is take a one week break after this to kind of regroup uh, and figure out what we're going to do. And then we're going to come back with at least one more story, but possibly another two uh, to close out season five here. So uh, stick with me. Uh, one week break to kind of regroup where there already would have been uh, a break here or we would have already been into our D&D uh, abouts and our Q&As. Uh, but in this case, I'm going to take a one week break uh, and come back with at least one more story, if not two, uh, to close out season five and uh, we'll be back with you and then get back to a regular normal ending of a season with the Q and A's and such. So that's that. Uh, hope you're enjoying the stories. They're getting longer because we're getting more into all of the stuff that matters or what all of this stuff is about. But anyway, hope you're enjoying, hope your lives are all going better or well, or as best as can be expected. <laughs> and, uh, Take care and hope to see you soon.